Welcome back, serial killers, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. I am, I always say I'm excited, but today I'm very excited because we're talking about one of my favorite movies that could be misconstrued as one of the world's favorite bad movies, but I'm going to die on the hill that it's not a bad movie. And to talk about that, I have one of my favorite badass women with me today, Alex Rose. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am absolutely <laughs> ecstatic. When you when you said, do you want to talk about this movie? I was like, yes, it's the only thing yes. I want to talk about ever. <laughs> it's the only thing I want to talk about ever. Yes, so Alex, before we, before we get into the movie, why don't you just tell everyone who you are at home and uh, kind of what you do, who you are? Sure. Yeah. So I am a um, recently moved to Orlando from New York. I was a first assistant assistant director in film um, up there in New York City. And I moved down here and kind of have had like a little pivot and a pause. Um, So yeah, and I'm just super excited to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is movies in general. And so what movie are we talking about today? Oh God, I get to say it. Amazing. Um, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yes. It is... One of my favorites, we are now having the pleasure that we're living in a time where it is also available on streaming because for years it years. was in, well, it, when it was in between release cycles of DVD as well. So like for years, this movie was impossible to find unless you literally had a copy of it already. Um, uh, before we get in, I just have to say, I'm going to put it on our social media, but back in 2019 when they had the 20th anniversary and it went streaming for the first time, um, I need to find her name. Uh, Gia Talentino, who is a staff writer at The New Yorker, wrote the most brilliant and succinct write-up about this movie. She's in our age group, so like, this movie was a pivotal movie for her and talked about how it existed for so many years, literally in the dusty confines of VHS collections, or if you were lucky enough to still be able to find it at your uh, town's local video store. Um, And it really, I didn't realize this because I found it in like my late teens, early twenties, which was just after it came out. Um, (laughs) But like on DVD is where I found it in, you know, the cheapo DVD bend at Walmart. But I did not realize till looking into it today that it was so massively panned that it for all intents and purposes should be lost to the, the like bad movie shelf of time. So Alex, tell us about kind of your first memories of finding this movie and why it has such kind of a pivotal moment for you in time. Um, So for me, I believe I saw this movie. I think the first time I saw it was actually on TV. It was like just Mm -hmm. on TV, on a channel, watching it. I was probably in high school when I saw it for the first time, which was, you know, about like, five, 10 years after it came mm-hmm. out. Um, and I have always, I'm a huge fan of like mockumentary mm-hmm. anything. Like Christopher Guest is a God, a God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been drawn to that. And I also had experience why it hooked me is because when I was a child, my mom put me in be- beauty pageants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, I, I didn't do that many because I pretty... I, I firmly put my foot down. Even as a child, I was like, I'm, 
I'm not doing this. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing this. Um, so to have a, and I agree with you. I do not think it's a bad movie. I think no. it is brilliant. There is not, it is perfect. It mm-hmm. is the perfect length. It, I mean, it's perfect. Um, I just really love, especially at the time it came out, like what it was saying, what we all, what, what kind of is now like, you know, popular opinion about mm-hmm. beauty pageants. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's that sort of, you know, a toxic, like beauty standard is, is kind of in a negative light now. Whereas like back then it was not, it was, mm-hmm. it was not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, and then it kind of like hooked me again. Cause it was one of those movies that I would, when I was in high school, I'd be like, Oh, have you seen drop dead gorgeous? And everyone's like, I don't even know what that movie is. Like, mm-hmm. what is that movie? Uh, I had the same experience with the labyrinth when I saw it as a kid, no one growing up had no one had ever seen it. And then I got to college and everyone's like the labyrinth. I love it. Same thing with drop dead gorgeous. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and I was a theater kid in college. So of course it was just color me shocked by that. (laughs) I know. I mean, I know it's not obvious or anything, Um, but yeah, so it was just, that was, I mean, constantly quoted constantly Mm -hmm. watched it was just for four years a very like intense like movie that was on during parties like you know we would have like mystery science theater like moments where we would Mm -hmm. all like sit and watch it and like roast it or like you know quote it and everything so yeah very special movie to me well and it's it's so interesting i think looking at it because it's often and this happened a lot when the movie came out because with this show, we found a lot that like most of the time, and it's why film critique and film criticism has gone widely out of popularity, but also it's massively popular because everyone has the accessibility to be able to do it now. And it's why like film podcasts do so well, because I would rather listen to someone that is my peer review something than listen to someone who doesn't even necessarily have a background in film, but they're a film critic. It's kind of like now that Ben Brantley is like fallen from grace as a theater reviewer for the New York times. It's like, well, why was someone who literally had a food and Bev background, the name in theater criticism and literally killed shows every year because he did not quote unquote like them. So when I was looking at this, it was like, well, it was compared to a 1975 film called smile, which has a lot of the same tropes, but like when you're playing with like teenage beauty pageant stories, you're going to find the same tropes. Now I do think it's interesting to look at it as that Miss Congeniality came out a year later and did Bafo box office, and it is the grown-up version of this story without the mockumentary aspect to it. And I did, and it literally, as you were talking about that, like this is still when beauty pageants were like highly favored and things, and like Maid was on TV, and like every season, two of the people wanted to be beauty pageant went like I was just part of the thing. Um, and so it's just so interesting that like a year later, Miss Congeniality would come out and do so well for pretty much doing the same thing, but on a global level instead of in a tiny town. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we keep going, I found the quote that I think sums up exactly what you were saying from the article. And it's the transformation of Drop Drop Gorgeous from a flop to a venerated artifact of Y2K era camp. <laughs> 
began with bored teenagers, most of them female and or queer, who flocked to blockbusters around the country and rented the movie over and over with friends as I did, bored on a Saturday night. And I just, I think that speaks so much to every experience of finding everyone who's ever been like, oh my God, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Or, you know, somebody would be sad and just me going, don't cry out loud. <laughs> like you just, <laughs> they're just, they're just uh, certain things. Or like I'll walk in a room and if it's tense, I'll just go, my name is Amber Atkins and I'm from Mount Rose, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I, you know, it's also funny because like growing up, Rose was my favorite golden girl who is also from St. Olaf, uh, yep. <laughs> you know, another made up town in the same area of, of, of the country. But it's, uh, this I think was my first mockumentary. Like, and I quickly, I think probably within the same Greek week saw Waiting for Guffman, which is, uh, a, you know, as I think for me, it was the perfect Chris Guest first movie for me to see, because mm -hmm. again, it's about community theater. I mean, and also that cast of people, it's one of those things. It's like why my point of reference culturally was so different from my peers. Cause they're watching like the big action movies of the late nineties. I'm watching these movies. And so I'm going to, or like Josie the Pussycats came out like a, within the same year. And so like, again, Piper Posey, Missy Pyle, you know, and then, you know, Jennifer Coolidge, Chris Guest, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Like, the fact that most people only know her as, like, Moira Rose mm -hmm. and Kevin's mom from, yeah. from Home Alone. And she just has such a wide berth of work. Uh, it's, you know, it's also the same thing. But also, like, but this was pre-Kirstie Alley kind of losing her mind as yep. happened. And, you know, that is a totally different conversation. Similarly, things happen mm -hmm. to, you know... um, Roseanne, you know, this movie just has, you know, it's Amy Adams' film debut. Kirsten Dunst, who's like writing her fame of being like an interview with a vampire in Little mm -hmm. Women to then like this, which for me is one of her standout performances. But you also have Absolutely. like Ellen Barkin, you've got Allison Janney, you've even got like Mo Gaffney in small a small role, mm -hmm. and then you have so many because this was made by the creator, uh, one of the guys from the state. You've got so many of those actors in here as well who mm -hmm. would also go on to create Reno Nine One One. It's just so I could talk about it forever, so we're just kind of yeah. jump in. Yeah, what are some things for you that just stand out that make this film exemplary? Wow. Um, everything. It's so broad. I, yeah, <laughs> it's so broad everything. I, um, I think it is, for me, what stands out first is the acting in it. And I know that that seems silly for it. I, I, I am truly confused as to how it was panned as a bad movie because mm -hmm. like they are all so good at that mockumentary style. Every single one of them Mm -hmm. I mean, perfect. Like it, it's, it's amazing. Um, let's see what else. Um, it's just the self-awareness for me. Like yeah. they're it's full camp. They know they're full camp. They know mm -hmm. exactly what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. and they, everybody leans in, everyone leans into it. 
Well, and something that's so interesting is the critics said that the humor was too dark and often didn't deliver in performance, which I think is the absolute opposite of what this movie actually does, because they're correct. It is so dark, but that is also what makes it so relatable. Uh, And also in many ways, like anybody that grew up even remotely religious in a large religious community, the like, one of the jokes for me is the Lutheran sister gun club. Like (laughs) it, (laughs) it's so good. And I mean, just, and I will say it's funny that like the only performances that got critical, um, critical like laud was Allison Janney and Denise Richards. And they're both phenomenal. But again, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. It's everyone across the board. They just, you can also tell it's reviewed by people who are not from small towns, who are not from communities. Now, I will preface this. There is some things that like, you have to keep in mind that it is a 1995 small town, super closeted, super conservative. And again, it's, it's different than saying, oh, my grandparents are product of the time. The filmmaker is physically making a commentary on the communities Mm -hmm. that were this small of the time. So there's some language that's going to be used in here that, you know, not great. We probably wouldn't even have Will Sasso's character in it today. Yeah, at all. But also, no one would be able to make this movie today, not because of like wokeness or things. Mm -hmm. I just think that this is from such a time when they were willing to make a film like this. And like, you would not see a company willing to invest in this kind of movie today. Absolutely not. Um, The closest thing we have is what we do in shadows. And that Mm -hmm. is so successful because of things like this and Mm -hmm. and like Spinal Tap and all of the Chris Guest movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it also combines the like sensibility of the British office, which really flipped Again, the genre on its head. Because, uh, again, for me, most of the things that I love about this movie are the things that critics hated. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, again, they've obviously never been to a small town because they said the this story belonged on Jerry Springer, not on a main screen, because they were tired of the white trash hero story. And I was like, okay, but that's not Amber's story. That is that not is, Amber's story. That is her. That's the situation she's in. But like Ellen Barkin, one, I also say everything Ellen Barkin's in is a gay masterpiece. So like if she's <laughs> in it, it's a gay masterpiece. And again, I continue to be proven correct. Um, <laughs> but it's like, and I had an acting teacher tell me once, that your character doesn't know they're funny because when you're a character actor, everything that happens to them is still life or death, but for the Mm -hmm. audience, they are funny. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the key to how they approach this movie. Absolutely. Um, I mean, because like the the thing for anybody that hasn't seen this movie, what, what's wrong with you? The big, the (laughs) big thing about this movie that is different than a mockumentary uh, like the Chris Guest ones is while this crew is there doing this seamlessly innocent documentary on a 1995 regional pageant for a national pageant, girls start dying right and left and no one in the town seems to be bothered or just suspicious. It's just, it's, but everybody knows what's happening and the unspoken word, like the, okay. The three women that are on the, um, committee with Gladys who is played by Kirstie Alley 
Um, no, no, no. Uh, 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 no, Lehman. What's her for? Oh my God, why Becky. am I forgetting her? Becky. Yeah. Um, no, Becky is the daughter. It's a daughter. Oh no. Yeah. Who's, uh, what's uh, her? Uh, uh, oh my God. Oh my God, I just rewatched this. I anyway, did too. <laughs> um, the the Kirstie Alley role, she has these three women who are behind her, one of which everybody will know uh, uh, from Austin Powers. She is yep. a prolific comedy actress. But those three women have maybe 12 lines in the whole movie. They're in three quarters of the movie, but the performances, the, the nonverbal performances they give in every scene, because if you're watching the background and that's what's beautiful to me about the rewatchability of this movie, mm-hmm. every time you rewatch it, if you're There's watching a different, else. if you're watching a different character in the background, they hear everything that's being said. Nobody is like foolish to what's happening. And I mean, and they're all quite aware. Like the Lehmans are the most uh, wealthy family in town. Mm-hmm. They're the most affluent. They knew this was going to happen the year Becky could could compete. It's very similar to like when uh, my friends who are in drag pageants and I hear them go, you know, someone did so well, but it's just not her year to win EOI. It's just not her year. And I'm like, <laughs> why? Why not? Why isn't her? Why isn't her? It her year? Uh, why? Why not? Why? Why if she has the best package, can she not win? Yeah. Hmm. It's weird. Uh, I think something for me uh, that really stands out with this is the soundtrack as well. Like the, it's all indie rock, mm-hmm. and like looking at the guys that are making the documentary, it looks like them. It sounds like them. They are such a fun and intrinsic part of the the script and the show that the music really makes it as well. And oh, yeah. something I was revisiting the soundtrack today, and I forgot that they put bits of dialogue from the movie throughout the soundtrack. I've Did never you... listened to the soundtrack. Oh, before, I but... hadn't either. And then a friend of mine had said, "Oh, it's what I love about it because she still has her like 1999 disc from it." I can't. <laughs> and so I was, it's up on YouTube, everything, even the audio clips. And it is, it's so funny. Cause it's like, um, it's like Amber introducing the town. It's the Becky's nine millimeter. Uh, Jesus loves a winner. <laughs> Jesus uh, loves a winner. <laughs> um, the two weeks before the pageant. I was so busy. <laughs> Running 18 miles on 400 calories a day. <laughs> I was ready. ready. (laughs) That woman's performance is arguably the greatest in this film. Like what I find, what I find so funny about them, them like critics saying it's too dark. I'm like, have you like, they did such a great job of like visually and emotionally quantifying Mm -hmm. the emotions of something as high stakes as a small town pageant yeah. like it is that for that town that is high stakes those girls it is life or death and then they made it life or death in this movie literally and that's what's amazing well and it is really important so i also think it needs to be notated that the screenwriter is female she was young she's actually the third judge on the panel she's the screenwriter um yeah oh i think God, it's fantastic yeah it's amazing and they made her very homely thing she would also go on to write sugar and spice the the like killer cheerleader movie yes. um but because the studio was so involved in changing her script to a male perspective she was cut out of the process and they created a fake name for a woman that never uh existed who wrote the script so she never even got credit for it um but you Great. can tell that she's in like 
that she's like 25 when she wrote this because mm-hmm. she, you know, she obviously still has the scars from growing up and she wrote it about her town. Like it is so evident, but also it's in the, it's in the, the script that Amber says uh, without the pageant, the girls have no chance of getting out of that town. Mm-hmm. Um, the boy, the boys can, the boys can get out with like the military hockey scholarship <laughs> prison. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's those moments of they add just a little bit of humor at the end of a very true statement. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't realize that like, until I was rewatching it yesterday after Amber says that it cuts to a shot of her mom in her living room drinking beer. And that is such a strong film, mm. like storytelling moment that like they under, you could tell they understood the idea of how to build a comedy, how to build a documentary, and then how to tell this story. And even though we had a male director, we had a male team, they didn't lose the perspective of the teenage girl, nope. which is something that in the the years of, you know, now that we have like Euphoria, Sabrina, the new Gossip mm-hmm. Girl, we're losing the teen perspective and automatically assuming all teens are addicted to cocaine and are yep. fucking and Very not realizing yeah. and not realizing that like the New York and LA teen does not reflect the perspective of everyone because in many places the perspective of the teen is still what the kids are experiencing in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they did a beautiful job of writing the eight girls in the pageant to be eight girls that we all know. Like every yep. I always forget about the drama girl who does the Soylent Green monologue. (laughs) She's so good. But then everybody knew that one girl that like did ASL for everything in high school Mm because she'd been doing it since seventh grade. (laughs) Amber, can we switch numbers? Because my cousin just had a deaf baby. (laughs) And they were like, you know what? She's doing fine. She's really happy. It hit the side of her brain and it made her deaf. But you know what? She's really happy. (laughs) Which like, again, out of the context of the film, it's awful. But within the context of the film, you know that character is so joyous and happy now. And and like the obviously lesbian uh, uh, athlete that like blows up on her family's car. uh, uh, (laughs) Farming carbine. Yeah. And, you know, again, there are things that we're giggling at, but it's like, we knew those kids. We were those kids. We are still those kids in many ways. And so it's so accessible. But again, I think it's arguably going to only be accessible to people from a certain generation of time, a certain gap of time. But I do also think that it's still a highly relatable film and why more people are discovering it still. And every time they discover it, they go, oh my God, this is an incredible movie. Oh my God, this is an amazing movie. And it's because at its base, it absolutely is an amazing movie. Um, What are some other things for you that just stand out as a a, a reason to keep going back to this film? I mean, honestly, um, Amber Adkins' mom and Allison Janney, as as they are like an an extra layer of like meta commentary Mm. on the movie. Yes. They're like Statler and Waldorf of Mm -hmm. the film while watching the pageant and it just like elevates it even more well and they're they're that comedy duo that we've always had in film the laurel and hardly mm-hmm. hardy the statler and waldorf mm-hmm. um you know it's the thing that 
they always try to replicate throughout all of media, but it doesn't always work. But here, and it's also because those women are so talented at what they do. They get character building. They get, you know, and Allison Janney even says that to this day, more people, when they approach her, approach her because of this movie and not because of her work on West Wing, which is also incredible and dynamic. It's so good. I mean, I've never seen Allison Janney do something that I didn't like. Nope. I like, I also, I worked nine to five on Broadway. So like I got to watch her do live musical theater every night with Megan Hulte and Stephanie J. Block, which is just a gift. And everyone who did not see that show, you were just missing out. There are bootlegs yeah. online. Please go watch a Please nine to five slime, a slime tutorial of nine to five on YouTube. Cause it's just so good. But like, I mean, I Tanya, like it's literally because the, the this was re-released just on the like her winning the Oscar for I Tanya. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things that it's like, I I would love to have a career like she's had constantly working, ama- like just amazing content that she does. But I agree with you, they are so good. And she, <laughs> the and the hair and makeup to, the the cosmetology department. Uh, it is just they get nailed it, it. Well, like they also, just get it the yeah. design departments from top to bottom get it like the lehman's house <sighs> it's perfect it as is a, as a southern evangelical i i've been in that house mm-hmm. i've been to birthday parties at that house mm-hmm. i just the drunk husband uh who owns the i just it's every step is correct and so much care has gone into it mm-hmm. that you don't think about it, but it is also like absolutely perfect. Yes. Um, but like Ellen Barkin with the fucking beer can <laughs> solidified to her hand with what looks like hot glue and like beard, like scar yeah. wax. Yeah. Like I just, this is a movie that I would love. Like, cause what, well, oh, what Hot American Summer has had like an amazing mm. resurgence over the last couple of years and they got yep. their documentary because they were filming so much backstage. I, this is one that I want a documentary of this movie. I need it. Yeah, I, I wish need somebody it. had been filming like B-roll the whole time. Yeah. Um, But it's all of the actors that are playing these small roles. Oh my God, Brittany Murphy in this Brittany movie. Brittany Murphy. Brittany God Murphy. rest her soul. She's an angel. I like, I... I think out of all of the, like the whole movie, I love her the best because of she's just, she always plays such an amazing Mm -hmm. person. Like Mm -hmm. every role, she plays an amazing person. And it's like, this is the same thing. Well, and honestly, Kirsten Dunst has always been a really understated Mm -hmm. performer. Her choices when she's not screaming at you are really understated. That is Mm -hmm. kind of what makes her an actor that sometimes people don't enjoy her performances, but it's like why I loved her in Melancholia. Like mm-hmm. there are, or like this, or like even as young Amy and Little Women, she's so wonderful. But in this, like, I, I feel like Brittany Murphy is almost upstaging her in every scene that they're sharing, but that's also who that girl is. Mm-hmm. She's the woo girl that's going to succeed so well in life. Yep. But also like, they do something really subversive in this movie that is so awesome. And it's those examples of like, well, in certain times we didn't even have to make a deal about certain things like diversity and inclusion because we just did them and everybody kind of accepted it across the board. But Mm -hmm. Peter, the character that we 
hear about in every scene, yep. but is never seen. Yep. The idea that like she idolizes her gay brother who she knows is gay, who mm-hmm. she knows is a giant drag performer in New York who does the Broadway divas. Yep. Um like that is such a fun moment for me as like a queer person. And it's like, they didn't have to make a big deal about it. And they still didn't make him the punchline, even though he's the ultimate punchline in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Because it's still just like, she doesn't care. She accepts him no matter what. It's mm-hmm. her brother. But I just, you know what, dad? Peter's gay. Gay! <laughs> gay! <laughs> Which since Florida's passing the don't say gay bill, I've just seen gifts of her every uh, day. Over and over, and over and it's, over. It, it's just a shame that we lost her because mm-hmm. she is a dynamic performer in everything mm-hmm. she has done. And mm-hmm. she just had a, such a tragic life. Uh, yeah. Again, where we're not talking about the kind of abuse that women go through in the mm-hmm. film industry. And it's just yeah. really a shame. But even the girls who haven't really done anything else, but like the the weird dog girl, the like, dog girl, the yeah. dog girl who got hit by a bolt from a. I don't. <laughs> again, it makes sense in a corn town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But for me, the next thing you already brought it up. It's the design for this movie is just mm-hmm. top to toe. It is such um. And well, and what's funny because it you know they filmed in '97, so like it wasn't a super time capsule, but it you know, with fast that was when fast fashion was really starting to bloom. We had Delia's mm-hmm. in every mall, Deb, those kinds of things. They did a really nice job of taking us just a little bit back, um, yep. but without you know making it super horny because the story didn't need to be super horny, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's the design is for me like there's something that science stands out from from top to toe. Okay, I'm gonna have to go back. The woman who Abby Lee wishes she was the <laughs> dance coach. Who... Yes. <laughs> there's so much smoking in this movie too. So many so much cigarettes. Smoking. Like what? the fucking the fire and the firefighters are smoking cigarettes at the like scene of the fire i was like i (laughs) they're smoking in the va they're smoking at the church they're smoking at the school like again it's one of those things that we were there during that time because this is the time where you walk into the ruby tuesdays and they go smoking or not and it's like why did we even have non-smoking sessions (laughs) frankly but you know it's such a vestige of like that reagan era because this town also is still so 1984 Mm -hmm. in so many ways like it is one of those grover's corners timeless things that it's just kind of that old boy system but in this town it's the old girl system um but also i think something that's just really smart that they do with this is they take the story all the way to nationals and then beyond like it really makes sense that they're like oh no we released it in 1999 about the 1995 um pageant because then in my head it goes, oh, it does make sense that their four years have lapsed and this has happened to all of them. And so I just, uh, I will say, if if you have a weak stomach, gird your loins for the last yes. third of the movie. Yep. But I, ju- I just, the comedy doesn't stop at any nope. point. Nope. When they, 
when they get to states and they're like, sorry, girls, nobody's staying overnight. It's a long day. And they're just <laughs> Mo Gaffney, who I think famously from Roseanne and Abfab, mm-hmm. who plays the same character on Abfab uh, and Roseanne, yep. <laughs> yep. which I love. And I like to think that she is also that same character in this movie yeah, because that character would also lead a pageant that is gone belly up and nobody else. <laughs> okay. That's my question. Do you think at that point, do they know that Sarah Rose cosmetics has gone belly fucking up? Oh, from the yes from the margarita drinking yeah absolutely yeah, they're so. like yeah they're like no we're not staying overnight no we're gonna do this in a quick eight we're gonna turn this around <laughs> in eight hours we're done and also because this is also the day of um state level like modeling companies mm-hmm. and like yes. doing fashion shows at malls and yep. like oh my god you're discovered as a 13 year old with braces and glasses at the at the, <laughs> at the gadzooks but you're gonna be you know america's next top model pre-america's <laughs> next top model but yeah. yeah it's just again i i don't uh, it it's so often just such a love letter to that time that i don't mm-hmm have necessarily the best experience myself of that time yeah but it's just but just the idea that amber the whole time wins by default every time it's one of the best parts of the movie because i feel like it not only is it funny but it also kind of for me especially because i I literally just watched it right before i got on the call because i was like i want it to be fresh for me this time really stood out that like it also is like a mirror of like this is how much it doesn't matter yeah like it it doesn't anyone could win it doesn't matter like it doesn't you're the talent you're the prettiest it literally does not matter like at all yeah well and something i was i literally thought about i was like so i get that becky's probably never going to leave that town like that's the whole point becky's never leaving that town Though her boyfriend is shot, they kill her boyfriend. She kills her boyfriend. Her mom kills her boyfriend. Kills her boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, there are so many questions I have around uh why exactly is the swan covered in gasoline? Yeah. <laughs> is the husband in on it? Is the husband yeah. wanting to start over? Like there's just um, but but it's like what was the purpose of winning your ta- local beauty pageant if you had no focus on states? Like, yeah. I don't, because also states were like right after, like they were Literally, very like, quick. It was like four days. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, are we not going to buff that pa- package up just a little bit, Amber? Are we no, not? It's good. no, 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 nope. it's fine. No, it's, it's good. Fine. We're going to roll fine. with it. It's great. We're going to keep going. Uh, <laughs> Becky was going to drag that Jesus all the way to stay. All the way. All the way. <laughs> that, her talk, her talk singing, you <laughs> can't take my eyes off you. I, which, uh, when that, you know, that's a, it makes me think of the stunt casting in Chicago because we recently, they recently announced Pamela Anderson is going to be playing Roxy yep. Hart in Chicago, yep. which I think honestly makes sense. They've been stunt casting that role for 25 years. Yep. Pam Anderson should have probably done it already. Let's be yeah, honest. When I'm I worked surprised for, that you didn't. When I worked for Rock of Ages, they were talking about putting Jenna Jameson in the show. So like, honestly, 
why hasn't Pam Anderson been a yeah. rock? Honestly, but it's that it's those moments of uh, everybody's been like, well, can she sing and dance? And I was like, watch this movie. Can Denise Richards? She's played Roxy <laughs> twice. I don't yeah. want to. <laughs> I don't want to hear but, it. It she she'll do fine. She's but fine. But that's that to go back to the pageant scenes. They are the ultimate payoff. Mm-hmm. Like they reward the audience for sticking around so much. The the um the local pageant is the what the fuck that you go home and you have to watch the like local musical when you go home for Christmas once every 10 years. Cause your mom's like, you're a professional theater person. Come, come. Everybody can see that you're famous. We're going to go to see the show. We're going to go see a Christmas show. We're going to go see a Christmas show. You're like, mom, I don't want to go see into the woods. I don't don't want to fucking do it. man. I don't want to see the first act of into the woods. And they just cut it off. I don't want to hear a pitchy twelve, a pitchy seventh grader sing on steps of the palace. No, and no. I don't want to hear a twelve-year-old girl sing "Giants in the Sky." Yeah, uh, or uh, them trying to make "Hello, Little Girl" not sexual. Not like, sexual at all. You know, it's one of those things. I was joking at work the other day about, um, oh, it's like Rent Junior. Then where everybody doesn't have AIDS, they just have diabetes and they really love each other. Uh, which, <laughs> if you laugh at me. Go to MTI, look up look those rent up. junior rights because they exist for years. It has been since pulled, but there was a video, and this was before parody videos on YouTube, of this group of nine-year-olds at a very posh middle school in New York City that did rent junior. And the mom was so excited that her little white girl was playing Joanne. And they were like, we have a diverse cast. Look at this tall, fat girl playing Angel. Um, <laughs> and they literally had diabetes. I, I don't remember what it was. They were just, they, they had the flu or something. It was something so bonkers. But sure. like- Again, that would be, the, you know, oh, but that, that local pageant pays off because it's so stupid and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then States is the ultimate barf joke uh, where the, it's never, I think the only barf joke that has come even close to drop dead gorgeous is from um, flying circus. Now for something completely different. The like waiter, the yeah. like wayfair, just one more wayfair, like John Cleese. Yes. He just, that, that is those two, they're not to be topped. That and I think the 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 poop scene from Bridesmaids gets very oh, close. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. Which if you're over 30, we've all we, had that. We've, we've experienced we that have. moment. We have. We have. <laughs> own up uh, to it. It's fine. Just own up to it, girl. And then I love the payoff and it seems almost anticlimactic of the moment Amber is getting off the bus at nationals in Alabama. And she's the first one that notices too. It's such a beautiful, subtle performance moment for Kirsten Mm -hmm. Dunst, but notice the giant four lease sign (laughs) on the Sarah Rose building, the seized over everything, which like, Honestly, in a world where we're now so hopefully vehemently anti-MLM, I feel like Sarah Rose is the Avon or the Mary Kay. Of course, yeah. There. I love the idea that the MLM got seized, the holiday magic candles, like yeah. all of those things. Like it's so good. But then, of course, because it's a documentary, we get the what happens after, which mm-hmm. also fucking delivers. Every like, single one of them. Oh my God. Of course, God bless Amy Adams' character, who is like, 
of course she's stripping to pay for um uh beauty school uh sex work is work all work is valid uh we stand we stand with sex workers but the fact that she was last seen in thailand and you're just like oh that's a really dark like yeah that's a i think that is their darkest joke in this film (laughs) yes but like on board with it when it's just like amy adams hanging off the pole in the bathing suit you're like (laughs) great we're here with you yeah work work work, you look great babe yeah 10 years later she's a disney princess (laughs) like (laughs) she's had a great upward trajectory she She sure has honestly she's so wonderful though i watch her in anything uh (laughs) Uh, the fact that like we don't get Becky's uh, after we get Gladys's after yep. and the, she comes in se- the fact that she comes in second in the, yeah. the state prison. prison beauty pageant oh man because then I was just like that's an episode of Orange is the New Black that we never got that I wanted. Yeah, that I wanted it. Like, I wanted that. that. I wanted that. Uh, yeah. uh, also, I feel like in a, if in, in a different time, Kirstie Alley would have been great on Orange is the New Black. Like, mm-hmm. great. Uh, but she decided to have her reality show and go a little cuckoo, cuckoo-choo, cuckoo-choo-choo-choo. I miss, um, I miss 90s Kirstie Alley a lot. Oh, I, well, I say the same thing about Roseanne Barr. Like, yeah. Two women that really defied, like them and Delta Burke, like mm-hmm. they defied the the uh, physical objectifications of women, uh, like handling that idea that like women get fat, men get fat, we age, we get fat, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is something that I always really respected about her and uh, not making her weight the butt of the joke yep. so much. Um but again, Kirstie Alley for years was in Scientology. I believe she's still yep. in the church. She's, I think yeah. she's still in. Yeah. And so she's one, not one of the ones that has left and, you know, went a little cuckoo pants with her mm-hmm. reality. Because she was one of the first people that got to her reality show, which was on for years. Yep. Um, and it's just a shame. But of course, Gladys breaks out of prison, comes back to shoot the place up. <laughs> literally to shoot up the grocery store Amber's working at because she's still mad at Amber. Like that's so also the most pageant mom thing ever to be mad uh-huh. at a 17 year old the rest of her life like oh it's man. also like even darker because like the history of gun violence that we're yeah. we've been experiencing it's oh, just like yes it's like yep <laughs> also i love that i'm so stupid it was like we didn't even get becky's after because becky doesn't have an after because becky, becky died <laughs> becky died becky um, died and i love in that moment that becky knew exactly what was happening Yep, she was. When she said, "Oh fuck." Yep. And which, again, I so many questions about that moment of the movie. Was it a setup? Because then I went. Then I went. Shouldn't Amber have been on the float if the Lehmans were responsible for that? Mm -hmm. Or they like to think they talk so much about her father's Mexican workers, and when they ordered it from Mexico and brought it up, and I Uh went, "I bet there's some (laughs) real fun workplace." (laughs) <laughs> uh safety concerns in mr mm-hmm. lehman's factory i would say uh, so. uh also because because the one woman that uh beaded her or like stoned and beaded her skirt <laughs> uh and she was like there are eight thousand and i was like doesn't look like eight thousand looks more like 200 yeah i was like doesn't look like eight thousand babe but that's fine <laughs> I feel like if there'd been an untucked drag race moment, it would have been the Derek Barry. There's a him here. There's a him here. Everywhere you see, there's a him. It's her going here. There's a sequence. There's there's a sequence. Everywhere you look at sequence, and I go, 
bitch wear because that's the Michaels. You didn't even do the Sawarski. We got about five inches between each. Yep. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's in like a grid. And meanwhile, yeah. I'm thinking about the costumer for the movie going like that. You know, the designer was also probably the shop for that movie. And she's sitting on set going, yeah, fucking wanted stuff. Fuck. I just <laughs> cursing at 2 a.m. in the costume trailer, just like quick stitching every one of those on. <laughs> oh, God. Another thing that got me this time really, really good yeah. is the difference in prize money for the competition. Like the, the second runner up got $50 a scholarship. This, the first runner up got 75 and the winner got 500. Got 500. <laughs> like, oh God. And it was like, was Becky going to go to beauty school? Cause with, yeah, like, with no those shame. eyebrows, I'd hope not. <laughs> well, she'd go to beauty school and then she'd marry a, whatever like farmer was in town the most affluent mm-hmm. farmer probably but they killed they probably killed him whatever yep whatever whatever I, the thing that i loved and it's just a little scene is the first time that we see gladys in prison with her prison wife yep <laughs> like puts gives cigarettes you hear her talking in the background and mm-hmm. then like has to put her hand in the pocket, in the pocket. i was like that is such a smart fucking choice again there's just so many little things that are just show such an incredible eye to detail incredible Mm -hmm. eye to storytelling i hate that this director never made another movie i know i know like i know he's gone into do film and things or tv but like i honestly i think he could flourish now i don't know if he's still alive i don't know if i'm speaking Mm -hmm. out of turn but like i would love to see another like honestly hear me out we don't need sequels of things but no honestly i kind of would love to see a follow-up with amber sure um like like amber has to go home she is literally made the nightly news she has to go home something Mm -hmm. something crazier or just you know um Amber decides to, uh, you know, instant. She has started a beauty pageant of her own or a scholarship mm-hmm. system, something like that. I think would be hilarious. But we don't need sequels. But again, these are characters like this movie. Also, not all movies are rewatchable, and I think about mm-hmm. that a lot because I just saw the Batman this week. Wow, yeah. an incredible film, absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. I immediately went. I'm probably never rewatching that movie. Or if I do, it's just going to be a super cut of Zoe Kravitz scenes as Catwoman. That's, yeah, that's all I really need. We or, just or or just the scenes of Rob Pattinson like pining at a computer screen with messy eyeliner on because uh, I'm <laughs> still a basic basic white girl. Um, but like this, I love movies that are rewatchable, and I mm-hmm. think this movie is just so blissfully rewatchable. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's literally full. I mean, it, every, it's all, every line is a joke. Like every mm-hmm. single line is a joke of some kind. And you, you can't, on a one watch, you, you're not going to get it no. all. Like you're no. not going to get mm-hmm. all of it. And the nuance mm-hmm. of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> depending There's... on where you come from, like depending on your background, you might catch more on the first watch than other people. I come from a small Southern town. So like, I was yes. like, all of this, all of this is accurate. But for people who are unfamiliar, like you have to like, please rewatch it. I, like you, I, you will not be bored. You're not going to yes. be bored. 
And it's it's another thing that okay, is it we're here? I need to find these quotes. Yes, it's here. Um, where a lot of the reviewers again uh, they said that it's not smart enough to be making the jokes that they're making like they're not smart enough to make to get the payoff and i completely disagree a thousand percent disagree with that like i uh, i ever again it's one of those things i typically always disagree with critics but this is a time where i fucking go how can you be so blissfully unaware that like it's it's great satire it's obviously satire every breath of it is satire but Mm -hmm. again they don't let the no one on screen is winking at you that they understand that they're in a satirical story like especially for those moments where like loretta when she's introduced and she's like amber's gonna win she's number one and and then her mom is literally like you have to stop Yep. Because she understands the the stakes. Now, it's not something that's in the script mm-hmm. other than the Amber's mom also competed in the pageant. I, and this is just my headcanon, and I wish they had to put this in the script, that it had to been Amber's mom competed the same year that Gladys competed. Mm. And that a lot of, like nobody died, but things went missing, such and such happened. And so like, Amber's mom has always been afraid of Gladys, even though she's this really strong woman and things Yeah, like she, especially after the first girl dies, she's the, she's the only one that's like, you all clearly see what's happening here and nobody is saying anything. And I love that moment for Amber too, when she looks at the, the women that's running the Rotary club, the the Mm -hmm. judges, and she's like, you know, what's happening and you're refusing to do nothing to stop it. And in so many situations, there's always that one person and it is, kind of one of those awful moments that it is so real life that it's like, sometimes everyone's going to watch something terrible happen. And unfortunately it's going to affect the good people, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's just, uh, what a a fitfully amusing satire that would have gained a lot of mileage had it been a tad more subtlety. Excuse me. Uh, Yeah. It would have gained more mileage if there'd been more subtlety. I think this movie is all fucking subtlety. Like, it, like it there's is. a like the 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 blatant you know yeehawness of the whole thing, and the old oh god Jilly, like that's what hits you over the head because that's what draws you in. But yep. honestly, there's so much subtlety and so much intelligence to how this movie's written that I just you know. You know, there were things that, like you said, though, they do love the pacing, they love the performances, and generally they love the visuals of the movie, which again great to go back to and that something that they were talking about at this time that i think we've taken out of our lexicon is talking about the visual pleasant uh, pleasantness of casting mm. so kind of how everyone looks together now in this is a movie that i granted i understand why it is an all-white cast because yeah. of this community of where would have generally yeah. probably been all white. And the director said, well, you know, because of course when they did, they did a round table two years ago or four years ago, oh, three years ago now, 2022, three years ago now when this hit the 20th. Um, and somebody, of course, uh, from, it was Teen Vogue or somewhere, when, um, you know, should this movie be celebrated because there is a lack of diversity? And the director said, and the, the writer also said, she was like, listen, I was just telling the story in my town 
my town was completely white. And in this mm-hmm. situation, you know, though, I think there, you know, there is <laughs> the, the very odd, no, it's not odd, but I think the very funny choice to have one of the girls be adopted by a Japanese family who's obsessed <laughs> with Western culture, which yes. again was happening in. Yes, it was. You know, because they remind me so much of um, Khan and, and um, men from King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, they remind me so much of like how Margaret wrote her, Margaret Cho wrote her parents on all American girl. Mm-hmm. It's this aspect of kind of looking at, um, kind of Asian American families that were looking at Western culture. And also it's such a, they would have been born in the fifties and sixties, which is when there was a huge rush of Western culture into Japan and those things. And so like, while they used it as a joke, I don't feel that they were deflammatory at all. No. And I mean, even her older sister was there and I loved the use of her. And she was like, you I guys love- are so stupid. <laughs> and th- there are those moments where like, they almost cross a line mm-hmm. according to kind of like how we would look at things. But I don't, because I think if you made like Amber African-American or you made Amber Latinx or something, it would have added a really nasty like, yeah level to that story which they were yes. these people are obviously all racist it is declared early on they're ableist yeah. homophobic transphobic racist that, that is yeah. this community yep. founded in like old school whiteness white hoods mm-hmm. everything um and obviously not everybody in the town but obviously like the lemons come from that kind of yep people. um uh and so it's one of those things that i think they almost crossed the line but it also again trying to remake this movie today one i think i think our generation of writers who would be writing this would try to be too clever with it and kind of not lean into it's it's even like chris guest's movies still work like because when he made mascots a couple years ago Mm -hmm. um it's still captured in contemporary humor and like they didn't do some of the things they would have done in best in show and waiting for guffman yeah because they were fine then and he just didn't do them now and guess what it was still funny yeah but also we'd be telling a different version of the story now which I yeah. think we've we've honestly done between Drop Dead Diva. I mean, between all of the kind of drag pageant films we've had, um, things like honestly, uh, did you see Dumplin? The movie Dumplin on see Netflix. Dum- I, did, yeah. I think Dumplin is the ant- the contemporary answer to this film. Sure, in absolutely. a beautiful way, in a way that we could still do this film, um, but also like we don't need to recreate things. Though I know no. this has been. Um, Though this is one where I say, along with Miss Congeniality, where's my musical? Like, I'm sick. I'm sick of musical adaptations of films. But this this movie is melodic in so many ways. that Like, I want a musical of this movie. Very, so easy. So easy to make this a musical. Yeah. I have always said Drop Dead Gorgeous, the musical, and A Fish Called Wanda, the musical. Like, (gasps) Fish Called Wanda would be so much fun. Yeah, like both of the, like they both are like just watching them, like this is already just add songs. Like you don't yeah. even have to, like just add songs. Yeah. And for me, my other one is Miss Congeniality, just because it mm-hmm. also is so mo- melodic and so musical. Yeah. Um, though I just, though I feel, I, I love Cheryl and Miss Congeniality. I love in so many reasons because yes. I love the girls from this movie, mm-hmm. because I feel like this is where Cheryl comes. 
Oh, because she's Cheryl, Miss Oklahoma, right? Like Cheryl she's, is Amber Atkins. Yeah, like she, Cheryl is Amber Atkins. Tru- like, truly, truly, like, truly, truly. <laughs> it's so. It's just. It's so lovely, and it's just yeah. so. God, it's so much fun. For someone who has never seen this movie, what would you tell them to kind of sell this movie? Oh my lord. Um, I would probably sell them on the mockumentary style because it's, again, what we do in the shadows. I mean, I have been a fan of it for my whole life, but what we do in the shadows, the office, they've all sort of parks and rec have sort of brought it forward and made it more popular. So one, it's a mockumentary style about crazy teenage beauty, beauty pageant contestants Mm -hmm. like that. That's all. That's all you need. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. know if you. If I tell you that and you don't want to watch this movie, I don't know what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like why are why am I talking to you? And why why is it? Do you think that queer people and women? But the, I find that the Venn diagram is like a circle. Mm-hmm. Truly, in most sure. situations, why is it that you think that queer people specifically have kind of clung to this? Because we've developed a kind of um, a canon of queer film and about half of them are not implicitly queer in any sort of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't tell me half those girls weren't going to grow up to be some, some, some form of LGBTQIA umbrella girl, yeah. but like, um, what do you think it is about this movie that just kind of has the queer community just waving its flag? I think for our age uh, and generation specifically a, a large large majority of us had this experience of a town like this of people like this and feeling you know I don't love I grew up in a small town I don't love that town I don't mm-hmm, I, I, I I never want to go back there I go back there as the least amount possible even though my parents still live there I'm like come visit me I'm not going back there. yeah like <laughs> not uh it it movies like this that do, do such a great job of highlighting in a funny way and a, fu- a light way the the sort of I mean for lack of a better word like oppression that we all experienced uh in in those towns and looking and showing a mirror to it like yes it is ridiculous like it validates our experience because you watch it the same, I mean, I, I watched this movie the same way I watched my town act a fool when I had, we have, we had uh, not pageants. We had the Azalea trail. Okay. That was what our thing was, which was this, you know, when you were 16, you wore like the Southern bell outfits and you had cotillion and a pageant down, like down, like a gone with the wind plantation style house with stair. Like that was, that was my, in my town, it was called the Azalea trail. And there's a specific row of houses that are, that are old plantation homes and they all have azalea bushes. So when it blooms, when Mm. they all bloom, all the 16 year old, like pretty girls from all the high schools or whatever, wear these Southern bell, like gone with the wind style dresses and parade down this. Yeah. To like the country club and have like a luncheon at the country club. Yeah. So like to see this movie and watch it, it's like a warm blanket because it just sort of validates. Like, I'm like, yeah, all of this is ridiculous. Like this whole, 
it was a very real experience, but also like making fun of it and, and being a part of, of a community that can all watch this movie and be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. it is just like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's very like validating. I have so much to say about what you just told me. (laughs) My face. I am because in a part being like a deeply camp drag performer, queer human, that appeals to my like aesthetic of just being so extra, but also that is the epitome of white nonsense. Like that is, but also I kind of now want to do it with like drag queens and like uh, queer POC people and like reclaim the shit out of it. Please, please. Let's do it. Listen, I don't know what hometown you're from, but we're going to take it over next year and we're going to terrorize them. (laughs) Would love, would love to. I think, and for me, I think it's like, I, we're about to do next month. We're doing a uh, kind of Buffy anniversary special oh. on my network, mm. Chef's Kiss, right? Yes. Also, because that's the same time mm-hmm. um, that like we're getting incredible women powered things, and it's the 25th anniversary of Buffy this year. It makes me feel old. Oh, but, I, I mean, everything <laughs> makes me feel old. Standing yeah. in front of a chair <laughs> makes me go. <laughs> Working where we work makes me feel me old because everybody there's always when when four 23 year olds leave, there are 17, 19 year olds to replace them. Yep. Yep. And Disney plays those same 17 year old this the same 17, 19 year olds, the same thing that they paid the like five 23 year olds. Yep, they sure do. I fucking hate Florida. Why are we? I, I don't, I don't. <laughs> um, but I think. Cause like I at this time would never have been able to watch. Cause like I would have been a freshman in high school when this movie came out. So uh, Will and Grace was on TV. I wasn't allowed to watch Will and Grace. I couldn't watch Buffy when it was out at mm-hmm. the time. You know, I was not broken from the church yet. That would be three years mm-hmm. away. But like, I think as like a queer shaped human, I hung out with the girls all the time. So I related more to these kinds of characters and who doesn't want to see themselves in an under, underdog like Amber? Because like, mm-hmm. if I could have been in pageants, I would have wanted to be in pageants. If my mom had been that kind of person, I would have probably, because like a friend of mine who did color garden, she's a baton twirler and things in high school. She did the like local pageants and things. And she was always like, yeah, there was like one boy that competed in the whole pageant. And I was like, Oh, I could have done the pageant and won the whole thing because I would have been the only boy. And then I went, and, and then I went, no, queen, you're fat. You would have still gotten second place uh, <laughs> to the four-year-old, to the four-year-old in the mm-hmm. glitter tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things that I think for years, so many queer people had to see themselves in other people in media. Mm-hmm. And so like these girls were, I would have probably hung out with the, well, I, the Brittany Murphy girl was definitely the kind of girl that I hung out with. The yeah. drama girl was the kind of girl that I hung out with. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the, the Amber um, and the Beckys were the girls that I was terrified of, but also mm-hmm. were like, Bitch. yep. I want her butterfly clips for my yeah. thin hair <laughs> yes. at 16. Uh, so I, th- I think that's probably part of it. It's also like queer people, not all queer people are camp, but most queer people, so not all gay people are camp, but most queer people inherently understand camp Mm -hmm. and there's an appeal to camp also because there's a broad spectrum of camp. It's not all um, 
you're stepping on my peonies. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's not all that in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You know, Camp John Waters' camp, there is mm-hmm. such a dynamic, you know, I will also die on this hill that there's so many things about, like, MASH, even though that, like, always, wasn't always great for representation. There was so much camp about MASH. There are so sure. many things about, like, TV. I mean, Dynasty, Dallas, Camp, Golden Girls, and Designing mm-hmm. Women, Camp. There's so many aspects of, like, straight cinema and, like, straight appealing uh, media that is camp that, like, queer people have flung to because Mm -hmm. there is something that feels implicitly queer about camp even if it's not directly queer like nothing about this movie except the lesbian that does die in this movie i will die on this hill that she's a lesbian and she did die in this film yep Uh, Yep. so not not great there but you know there is nothing inherently queer about this movie but it feels Mm -hmm. gay like it just feels queer there's something queer about it um and you know it's when I look at this kind of movie, if I was doing a 90s, like late 90s film festival, if I got to program three things, I would put this, Romeo and Michelle, and But I'm a Cheerleader all together in one afternoon. That Absolutely. would be just because visually they're all the same color palette. Mm-hmm. Socially, they feel the same. And like, I really want the drama girl from Drop Dead Gorgeous to be Janine Garofalo in Romeo and Michelle. Uh, yep. Like, it's there. Also, because like Janine Garofalo, not a lesbian, but I always feel like she always is a lesbian, whether she's playing one or not. Absolutely. <laughs> like that she, you know, Absolutely. it's just those kinds of things. But I think it's, you know, with this, we we see ourselves in Amber. Also like pining for that boy who may actually like us, but then like social death yep stops him from wanting to be friends with you and then like you become the romeo and the michelle like Mm -hmm. that's your next evolution in your pokemon like like evolution and so i feel like there's just so many things again not inherently gay about it inherently queer but the camp aspect of it makes it so relatable and so enjoyable and kind of bookends and kind of why these films from this time because everybody was being allowed to make movies at this point. Like that's something also yeah. everybody talks about the amount of movies we had coming out where there were just always, always movies coming out. Always, constant. And this is, this is also when like limited release movies were becoming huge. Cause like, I remember uh, a couple of years later in 2003, when saved and camp both came out <sighs> again, movies, oh. I would arguably put in the exact same, like, in a weekend, I would put those two movies together. Um, but like those were both made by major studios, mm-hmm. but got indie releases. Cause this is yep. also like um, Pieces of April with Katie Holmes, just oh, off wow. of Dawson's Creek. Like these are those moments where you're getting movies where larger artists are doing more independent film and they're getting released by the studios, but not on the same scale. Because I remember, I thought it was a big deal where I lived in Virginia that we were just close enough to DC that like, this is the same time that Disney had acquired uh, the Miyazaki distribution. Yeah. So like Spirited Away, How's Movie Castle mm-hmm. got movie releases. My hometown, Camp and Saved played for like four weeks. Yep. And so I was able to like sneak away and go see them, which was like revolutionary at mm-hmm. the time for me to be able to go like see that. And then also know that the Lizzie McGuire movie was playing next door. Yeah. Like I could keep rambling about this, but I think it's, for me, it's because in a time where I wasn't on screen myself, 
I saw the people that I was the closest to who I would have been affluent with. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause then even like five years later, like the Katie Herons and mean girls are so close to the Amber Atkins. Like yep. we always want to root for that girl. And I thought mean girls had a really nice perspective at the time of like showing what happens when you get too close to that other side, you know, yep. now it hasn't aged quite as well, but like that idea that like Damien would be in that movie only five years later. Yeah. There are things that change, but I think long story long, everyone at home knows I ramble, uh, <laughs> but you know, I just, I think, so many queer people and you know so many even women who are like queer adjacent still see themselves so much in in these characters yeah that like that's why we keep wanting to revisit this you know i mean i so i grew up relating to amber adkins um mm-hmm. i now realize i'm allison janney if i'm <laughs> anyone I, <laughs> oh you're cute <laughs> if you get, if you get this in your mouth i'll give you a present <laughs> That's and then when me. the camera and she's like i got some <laughs> i i was just like that's this is me this is me i i'm, <sighs> I'm allison J. <laughs> Oh, it, well, I mean, we all, we all grow, we become better people, we, we, become, grow, we, sh- we become more whiskey-laden people. <laughs> I just love the, the devotion to the watery Miller Lite beer. Of course, like, of <laughs> course. It's just, there's so much good. Normally, I would ask if there was anything you would change, but like, honestly. I mean, maybe the only thing, and this is, of course, like, me looking through a lens of today right at yeah. not at a 1999 lens like maybe the whole hank slow yes. brother bit could could go i don't think we would lose anything from the film if that wasn't a part of it i agree but but again that is looking through a 2022 lens mm-hmm. not a 1999 lens where that character was yeah. actually very prevalent surprisingly prevalent yes. in a oh, lot of yeah. things well, yeah, and if it wasn't played by Will Sasso, he was played by Chris Farley or, or yeah. somebody similar. Yep. Um, they do use the the R word. I will not say that. But, you mm-hmm. know, again, I feel it's also culturally because I'm sure your town, my town, everybody oh, said it. I heard it once an hour. They, school. Still, they still do. Yeah, they still do. They uh, you know, um, so, you know, I agree with you. I would take that language out, take that character out. Also, I feel like from our perspective, I would actually love to see him be the one that somehow like helps save the day at the end of the day sure like sure. like the aspect that like he's been treated so poorly the whole time that then you know yes. he does help amber or something or or whatnot yeah. but i agree i feel like we could with will sasso being as an amazing performer as he is mm-hmm. he is a chameleon loved his work on us um not us i know mad tv mm-hmm. um but again yeah it's uh i understand it of the time but it is that one moment where i go I don't think it adds anything narratively no. to the story. No. And it actually muddies up his older brother's character a little mm-hmm. bit. So it almost um, feels like, like I have a deep love for South Park, deep, uh-huh. deep love for South Park. And it's like people who don't like South Park always say that it's because it's that kind of humor or yeah. like potty humor or dumb humor and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's literally there. That is the surface level of South mm-hmm. Park. That is like, and that's just like the cover for everything that is the satire yeah. and the, the political commentary underneath that is prevalent through every episode. Well, it's, the, it's the iceberg of any good media because yeah. you have to appeal to the lowest common denominator because mm-hmm. they are the biggest driving force of money. But sure. then you need to also have the things that are there for 
the people who are coming in because they're like, well, why is there always poop jokes and self-referential humor in Disney movies? Mm -hmm. And it's like, because the kids are going to giggle because Bruno says, let it go like Olaf and there's a fart joke, but then it's also hiding something deeper. Or it's like when people were like, I don't understand why Shrek has potty humor, but also all this like allegory on Disney media. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Because both can exist in the same continuity yeah, and yeah. accomplish different things. Yep. Um, do I think maybe, I don't I don't think it would have helped critic reception of the movie any, but I just think no. now that maybe it's like, we don't need that. Yeah. Do I love the scene where he gets uh, his overall stuck in the truck and then he like <laughs> is holding the kid down the to, steal, to steal the cotton candy? Absolutely, yeah, because it. at its base, I hate children. Uh, which is funny considering I work in theme parks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) theme parks are for adults not for children leave your grimy children at home they they don't need to be here they're not gonna uh, they're not gonna like the food that you want to eat they're not gonna have fun and they're not gonna be able to get more than three feet they're also they're also not really gonna remember so like wait wait until they're I don't know, tolerable or something. But you're going to be stuck with 14, uh, 14 uh, bubble wands at home that you're going to yep. get high and play with on your own in the middle of the night because you yep. hate your children, but you like a bubble wand. Bubble wands yep. are my favorite toys that we saw at the theme parks. They're they the brighten my day, but mm-hmm. the children that play with them, I Mm-mm. want to literally yeah. no push in a trash can. No, thank you. No, thank no, you. Thank you. No, I love all my friends with kids. I love your mm-hmm. kids because they're different. They're different. Uh, but also, we were all insufferable. I would have hated myself as a child. Of Everybody course. hated me as I, a child, I, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm self-aware enough now. <laughs> uh, Alex, what is one thing that you hope people take away from this story today? I think especially now... Um, it's going to be taking away the levity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just a fun movie. It's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's exciting. Um, it's smart. It's intellect. Like it really is like, just watch it and have a good time. Forget about all of it, all yes. of this, uh, you know, just like everything that's happening right now and just, enjoy like kick back relax enjoy the ride because it is a delight from beginning to end it is an absolute delight there is something for everyone in it that's what i would like you to take away from it i agree 100 percent. and thank you for being on the show i think that's thank a perfect you. i think that's a perfect book and <laughs> <laughs> thank you for inviting me again over the moon uh, over the moon Before the Wicked Witch of the West and those gals from Salem, there was Circe, the captivating and kind of catastrophic Greek witch who did more than just turn men into pigs. I'm Rose. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Gloria. Join us this fall on Circling Circe, the podcast where we talk about Madeline Miller's incredible book, Circe. We go through the novel chapter by chapter. We laugh. We cry. From laughing. We swoon over Daedalus and other Greek hotties and talk way too much about food, life, and scented candles. I'm hydrated. I'm ready. I'm You're pumped ready. to talk about Greek gods and titans. <laughs> Let's do this. Lasagna is not supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be eaten hot, stupid. Who just looked at the count and was like, hey, sexy, moo right over here. Like It's <laughs> 11.45. I need to go eat my liver. My Prometheus pate. <laughs> and Granny's like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> 
We post every Wednesday, so mark your calendars. Make like Scylla. Grab a sailor. And dive in. Find Circling Circe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, do you want to do an outro? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your outro? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Thank you again for turning in for another show. We have a big, big announcement coming that in the late spring of 2022, Dreamer Productions is bringing you a new show called Exit Stage Death, the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows and theaters. For up-to-date release information, follow us on Stage Death Podcast on Instagram and Stage Death Pod on Twitter. Now, don't forget to check us out on Patreon for $2 a month to show us that you love what we're doing. And coming up in May, we have our 25th anniversary celebration of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You're not going to want to miss it. Join us next time for another deep dive in the files. Saturday morning, confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.